Welcome to the New Future Podcast, where we talk to business leaders, researchers, and visionary thinkers about what happens next. I'm Kate Rainscoldy. And I'm Kate Rosavina. On this week's episode, we're talking to UK-based UK leadership coach and international man of mystery, David McQueen. David works with leaders and their teams to communicate with clarity and confidence. David is also an entrepreneur, professional speaker, and host of Leadership Decoded, a leadership communication podcast. He's worked with Fidelity Investments, HSBC, Investec, and has spoken on every continent. I'm also a bit of fan of a bit of a fan of David because of his outspoken hot takes on LinkedIn and penchant for bright red high tops. David, welcome to New Future. Thank you very much for that introduction, <laughs> Kate. I think I need to have you as my hype person wherever I go. But thank you. <laughs> Pleasure to be here. So, can you tell us a bit more about what you are doing right now? What you're currently working on? So right now, um, I have, there are two things that I am really passionate about. Number one, just making sure that leaders can communicate uh, full stop. So in terms of internal communication with their team. So there's a program I have called Brave Leadership. uh, And I am developing even more of that, especially because of the challenging times we have. And And I'm, because I'm home now, I'm getting my ass kicked and I'm writing a book around it which hopefully shall come out sometime in the not-too-distant future. I've spoken it out there now. And the second thing is specifically, just as I always have done, is helping people to present better, to be able to speak better, uh, with better stories, with better narratives, and a lot more confidence, whether they're doing it face-to-face or online. So those are the two things that my energy has really been taken up with at the moment. And David, and what are you seeing now in this space, in this leadership kind of space? Are you seeing major changes due to COVID-19? Interestingly enough, yes, there are uh, a lot of individuals who uh, I'm having conversations with who are actually quite terrified and they, because they have no idea what's actually happening and they think that they have to have a solution for everything that's going forward, lots of people are getting quite terrified about it. But on the flip side, there are those who are just sitting in it and going, look, we don't have the answers, we don't know what's going to actually happen. And so we're just going to Um, rely on the wisdom of advisory boards. We're just going to rely on the wisdom of peers to see what can we do day by day to be able to get through this. But there is a sense with quite a few of not not being quite confident about this and being quite terrified. And and what do you personally think will happen next? Or rather, actually, what would you like to see happen next? Um, I was going to go with that one because I've got (laughs) no idea what's going to happen next. But what I'd like to see is I would like to see people come out of this with uh, an attitude where where a lot of people ask themselves the question, what's the worst that can happen? And, and, and in many respects, this is one of the worst that has happened for lots of people. And, and I believe that it'd be really good for individuals to be able to reflect and go, right, now that we've really been through a bad time that has affected us uh, uh, economically and financially, but we've also seen a really good uptick in terms of how we've been able to treat the world and the environment Um, what can we do that can make the new world or the new normal a better place? And that's what I would really encourage leaders to be thinking about. How can we make sure that in this moment of calm and reflection that we can actually ensure that our leadership practice, our leadership behaviours allow people to feel a lot more safe um, in in a world that basically did have a real kick up its arse in 2020? So, David, do you think that we are, are ready for a new kind of leadership now because of this kind of clearing out and and people being sort of as you say being in the in what what's the worst that could happen Mm. 
My 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 optimistic mind says yes, I do believe it. But then there are so many examples of where states, a number of states and a number of organizations have all, all they've done is they've taken advantage of this. So for example, I was reading something this morning. I can't remember exactly what the what the source was. It will come back to me. But they were saying that a number of uh, economies are relaxing the rules they had around uh, fossil fur, uh, fossil burning fuels and 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 uh, other kind of practices that can harm the environment around deforestation etc because a number of these economies want to get themselves back on scale they want to be productive they want to get the economy going again at no cost sorry at, at any cost and so it scares me on the one hand that whilst we've had this blip and people have had this point of reflection there are lots who are planning to just basically get things back to normal again, even though they're not going to be that normal. And so I, I want to be optimistic and say that through a number of provocations, whether it's my writing, talking to other people and, and having these conversations across the board, that we can encourage people to think slightly different. But I'm also quite worried about those who are in positions of power and influence who will just go back to what they've done from before. So I'm trying to be a pragmatist, somewhere in the middle. Mm. And I, I think, yeah, I, I'm seeing the same thing. And I, I'm, but I'm also inspired by things like um, what, what's happening in New Zealand with um, Jacinda Ardern. Yes. Um, and she's, she's been called, you know, the most effective leader in the world right now. Yeah. So do you think that that's potentially that we're ready now for like that idea of more women stepping up into leadership roles and there being more of a space for that or more of a, an acceptance of that? Yeah. We're even so, so me, for it, recognition that we need yes. to have that. We need to have more diversity. Yeah. Okay. So let, let me give you my two answers. <laughs> let me give you my two answers on that. Let me give you the one where I don't care. So the one where I don't care, and I'll say it from my chest, I do believe we need more women leaders. There are individuals who will say to me, oh, leadership is not, um, it's not gendered and anybody can do it, but then do nothing to create space or to create a, an environment that allows women who could go into those spaces to feel like they belong, to feel that they're safe and feel that they're treated as an equal. That's me just kind of like just saying it from the heart. But then I, I also think in order to be able to sell the message, I'd want, I'd want more existing leaders to tap into those non-alpha male or those non-alpha masculine roles around leadership. So to tap into the more feminine side of empathy, of listening, of understanding, of taking calculated, not silly risks in being able to achieve what it is that they're going to do. So again, you mentioned um, uh, Jacinta Ardern, and I think of Angela Merkel and the, the leaders of many Scandinavian uh, countries in Taiwan and Singapore, who have all had a sense of good measure uh, and all, all have had a sense of, let me think this through, not just for the short term, but what does the mid to long term impact look like for this? And I'm hoping that there are a lot of leaders across the board from state to corporate to community to third sector who will look at people like Jacinta Arden and go, look, I really love the way that she communicated this. I really love the way that she didn't panic. I really love the way that she was able to get buy-in from her whole tribe, from her whole nation and say, how can I do that for the people who I lead and so that they can buy into what I'm doing without me having to force them? So that's kind of my yeah, my take on it. I do have I, I do have harsher terms for it, but for the purpose of this podcast, I'll just leave it to, them, to those two <laughs> yeah, simple fair ones. Enough. 
And I think also, uh, like, I know you've done some work as a board advisor for women founded yes. companies. And so do you, yeah. do you kind of have uh, um, some tips on, on how, you know, if, if you're thinking about that, you need more diversity and more women, do you have some tips from, from that work? You can yes. Do? So again, as you mentioned, I, I, I go out of my way to, to sit on the boards of a, a number of um, startups that were founded by women. And, and what it is, is I found as a coach, there were a lot of women who weren't giving themselves permission to just take or make decisions or to not second guess. Um, and, and it's understandable when you are living in a predominantly male dominated world uh, around business and uh, especially in the startup space, that to to try and do something that looks like all the people who are constantly highlighted in Forbes and all the you know tech or startup um, publications to to realize that that doesn't have to be the the modus operandi or the way that you have to work is can be quite a bit of a challenge but what i i always love about working with um women founders is that they are quite measured so they will really think about the financial they will really think about the operational if there are changes in staff uh, whether it be furloughed or whether you're going to have to get rid of stuff or what have you there's a real sense of empathy as to how we make sure that these people land softly we still are direct, but how do they land softly? And and so I always encourage uh, women founders just to speak your truth, uh, to keep that level of empathy that you will show about being able to care for individuals that they're not just human capital, but they're actually humans full stop. But also being having that sense of bravery to go out there and still want to build a business, still want to scale, not necessarily in this huge ginormous ways that Silicon Valley think that we need to go from zero to 100 in two days and and you know and burn everything in, uh, along the way but just being able to be okay with who you are and and get a lot of people who don't understand the the power or or the influence that a lot of women leaders have to to wake up and see okay maybe I should be able to do it that way as well and and I so I always encourage women to stand standing your own strength and lean on those individuals around you who can encourage you and tell you that you know if you're going in the right way keep going and, you know, if you do need a little bit of guidance, if you're kind of like slightly going off track, to encourage you to stay on track. Mm. I know that was a lot, but that's my No, that's, I think that really resonates with a lot of conversations that Kate and I have been having around, because um, we've both worked in the tech space, and it's often that it's like, we women have to be men, and women need to change the way that they are, and the problem is with women. And I really, yeah. I think that really resonates that idea of actually, there's a lot that, that, that even if it's not a woman leader, but that idea of bringing more feminine and bringing more balance into leadership. Yes. I think there's stuff to be learned on both sides. And I think that's a very powerful and important message. And so it sounds like you're kind of saying that the, the new future of leadership is almost bringing the feminine back, bringing it back. Yes. Yes. Caring. Yeah. That caring, that vulnerability, I guess, um, everyone has uh, that in them, right? It's just bringing yes. it out into the leadership. Oh, definitely. Hmm. So to change gears a little bit, um, are there any unexpected or surprising impacts of COVID-19 that you think will have a long-term impact in this, in this space, in the leadership space? I'm, I'm hoping that in terms of, in terms of a good long-term impact, I'm hoping that there will be a lot more empathy to individuals who have always said that they wanted to work from home because of the nature of the way that they live. So whether that's parents, be it mothers or fathers, whether it's individuals who have either 
um, visible or invisible disabilities who sometimes need to be able to just retract in order to be able to do some stuff. I'm hoping that this has been a wake-up call for a number of organizations that there can be flexibility around the way that individuals work. I remember a number of years ago when um, the, the then boss of Yahoo wanted everybody to come in and, and work within the office while the company was slowly imploding anyway. And, and I felt that it was very short-sighted and I felt it was a very bad message to send out to individuals that you can manage that. And many organizations have been able to do that with remote working. And so I'm hoping in terms of a long-term effect that there are many leaders who can see that there may be elements, and obviously not all, but there may be elements of the way that work can be delivered and it can be done quite remotely. On the flip side, I also think it's a question of um, recognizing for organizations how fragile the actual business ecosystem is. So there are a number of organizations who will go through this and they will thrive because they have got um, massive banks of cash that they can fall back on. Um, I know there is a, <coughs> excuse me, I know there's a maxim where a lot of startups that I've spoken to, I've said to them, make sure that you have at least, ideally, you can talk about at least three to six months worth of cash sitting around and not just sitting around not doing anything, but just in case times get a bit tough, there can be something that you can fall on. And now we've had this situation where a number of organizations have had to furlough staff, have had to depend on government handouts. There are a number who are going through this going, well, look, we, we, we listen to that kind of advice of making sure that we had a bit of a cash buffer and we have got a number of months that we can work on in order to pay our staff and then come back. So I think in terms of planning and in terms of cash flow, I'm hoping that people will come out of this. A lot of leaders will come out of this going, I must make it a priority to have a bit of cash that I have sitting around with me instead of just loading up my company with a lot of debt. So those are two things that I think immediately spring to mind. Number one, the remote working for the longer term and number two, um, a lot of companies spending a lot more focus on how much cash flow they have just in case things do go a bit sideways. Mm, fantastic. I completely agree about remote working. And my thinking around this is um, that in, in order to allow staff to work remotely, a lot of the roles can easily be redesigned as well. Well, some more easily than others, but um, I just think a lot of the roles that we're assuming, for example, the role of a CEO or say a CFO, I myself, I'm a chief financial officer. And my view is there is no reason whatsoever why this role needs to be done by one individual, this one hero who knows everything about everything and can work 24 seven. I actually think it is the responsibility of leaders to really look at, at work and uh, at the roles and say, well, can we actually have two CEOs? We have uh, one um, successful Australian company called Atlassian mm -hmm. um, and they've got two CEOs, for example, and they've had those two same founders from the start and it's working yeah. out quite well for them. And I really believe that the same can apply to most roles within an organization. So if you can actually split up the roles, you can then, uh, it means the roles can be much more flexible. It means many more people can actually take on these roles. Parents, people with caring responsibilities, you know, people who normally can't do that um, full-time role. Yes. I think it's really important for leaders to do that. Definitely agreed. Mm. And um, David, also, um, I guess um, to, to um, probably wrap things up a little bit. What are the top three things um, you, that you believe leaders need to know about um, this new future? 
Ooh, top three things. I I think the first one that comes to mind is that a situation like this doesn't uh, create. This sounds. I'm going to sound really cliche now. Oh my god! I'm sure memes <laughs> will come out of this. But I, I, oh, memes are great. There's going to be one of my face. A really weird <laughs> picture of my face saying this now. But it's 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 that when you have times of adversity, that it's a revelation of character rather than character just being formed. All of a sudden, when you have a tough time, you're not just going to immediately go, "Oh my god, I'm a resilient person, and this is how I'm I'm going to be." I think it's an opportunity for people to realize where their strengths and weaknesses lie and then being able to build on that so they can be resilient regardless of what actually happens. For me, that resilience piece is going to be a, a big, a huge piece that people have to think about um, going forward uh, as to how they are resilient for themselves and how they're resilient in the teams and how they would create an environment that that is resilient for everybody to have, a, a, you know, everybody who's in that specific team or under that leadership to have a sense of resilience. The second thing for me is around empathy. And I, 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 I think that has been missing so often that individuals are so focused on the bottom line and so focused on being able to be profitable, to be winning awards, to be profiling on LinkedIn or, or, on, a, or you know, on whatever publication. But I think to roll it back a bit and just think about how we are uh, treating each other and how we treat each other, especially in terms of not just being led, but how we respond to those who are leading us as well. And to have a sense of empathy that sometimes when people are making decisions or dealing with problems that we need to give them a bit of bandwidth that they may get some things wrong, but be able to um, have empathy to not only listen, but to be able to challenge people in a nice way as well. And for me, that spirit of empathy is, is very important. And then the third one for me is just around agility. The, the way that things are changing and changing quite quickly um, you know, I, I've seen a number of organizations totally pivot. Now, I haven't pivoted. There are going to be certain parts of what I do that may need to, especially in these times, may need to be a bit more online. But I know that the core of what it is that I do that I want to deliver to my customers has got to be the same. But that agility allows you to be able to go, right, rather than the skies falling on my head, what is it that I can do that can reassure those who I work with? And allows us to be able to build scenarios and build um, situations that we can go and explore, which won't harm the company um, and won't harm the individuals that are, are, are that are working in the in the organisation. But we can go right instead of just this is the process that we have to do. We can go. Mm -hmm, let's be a bit flexible around that. So for me, resilience, empathy, and agility, I think, are going to be three key things that a number of leaders will will definitely benefit from having in their leadership toolkit. Thank you, David. Those are definitely some meme-worthy, juicy tips. <laughs> REA, I think, is going to be it, yeah. REA is going to be the meme. <laughs> and so if people want to find out more about you and your work or get in touch, what's the best way to, to find you, David? So the, the best way to just find out what I specifically offer is will be to go to davidmcqueen.co.uk. I always say if you type in David McQueen in Google, it should come up in the top three results. I don't know if that's still the case, but um, <laughs> hopefully I've been working hard to make sure that's the case. But otherwise than that, if people want to kind of get a sense of the pulse of my thinking and my provocations, as you said in the introduction, Kate, around how I think and how I really want to be challenged as well as challenge people, I, I do put quite a bit of content on LinkedIn which is a reflection of my thinking around leadership and communication. So it's just David McQueen. I think it's UK, LinkedIn UK, I think. And then 
David, uh, Mr. David McQueen, actually. Yeah, I've got the title in front of <laughs> Mr. David McQueen. Excellent. Well, we'll put a link to your website as well in the show notes. Fantastic. So thank you so much for being on our show. A real pleasure. Thank you. <laughs> um, and so if you enjoyed this episode, please consider leaving a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts, which we are now, we're now on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Deezer which is very exciting. Um, so please do to subscribe, tell your friends, and it really helps us to get the word out about the new future.